right. And I just want you both to know that you agreed to these conditions of the, all the ambient noise. <laughs> we did. We did agree to that. Spiritual Conversations for the Godless. I'm Matthew Blake. And I'm Karen Thurston. Welcome to Heathen. Hi, kids. (laughs) See you soon, Huck. Hi, kids. Hi, heathens. Hi, heathens. Hi, heathens. Hi, everybody. We're coming to you live from quarantine, and this is what quarantine sounds like. This is quarantine life. (laughs) Well, this is kind of, of a special quarantine, though. It yeah. is. I don't think most quarantiners no. have so many genetic pools. It's true. I am. <laughs> I'm a closed loop. I am frequently hesitant to talk about our special quarantine mm. on the internet, just because I am both acutely aware of how lucky we yeah. are. That you have this quarantine is privilege. Senate. We definitely as as have quarantine it, privilege. I think you're okay. Absolutely. And also, people think it's really shady and like don't believe me that yeah we yeah can do but that in a safe i mean way. that's the internet yeah the internet is hard tina Fey says the internet is not a thing that you have to obey that's nice i, and like I that. appreciate that from tina Fey a lot or are you beholden to the internet that i think is also something that I and yet we are its slaves yeah so no. <laughs> that's not no that's I mean, we, not <laughs> we function as though we are yes we're yeah. not in no. actuality that's so true mm-hmm. uh, we need boundaries for the internet <laughs> Anyway, what we're saying is that we're sitting here with none other, none other than Colby Martin. Hi, Colby. Hey, what up, Matthew? Welcome back to our little show. Buddy. This is fun. Yeah, it's, been it's been a, a minute. It's been a long yeah. time since you were on it. Were you in season one or now season two? I don't know. I don't know that I it was, was still a long time ago. It was, it was with my wife and yeah. co-pastor and we co-host. We did our, our whole our 90s crossover. sitcom crossover yeah. thing mm. where we were both Melissa yeah. Joan Hart. Of course we were. Right. And, and you were Alf. Yeah. I think I was Alf. <laughs> and that's how that all went. Yes, exactly. Alf and Kate was yeah. Al, and they were Al and Alf, and that mm. was it. That's how it went. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. But you're back now. Yeah. As yourself. For yeah. lots of good reasons. Number one being, we like you mm. a lot. And also, number two, we are in quarantine with you. <laughs> so this is an easy conversation to have. You're our most convenient guest. <laughs> Very convenient conversation to have. That's funny. But number three is that you have brand new works that you've put out into the world yeah. in the form of words yeah. on paper yeah. bound that are available for people to buy yeah. in bookstores and online. That's a really good pitch. Are you trying pitch. really hard to avoid using the word book? Is that what's happening? I don't know why. You wrote a book, Colby. You curated nearly 60,000 words together this in is one like, six by nine by one space. It's pre-game night, so we're doing the, the podcast version of Taboo, where like you can't actually say you know, the yeah. word on the card in front of you. Mm-hmm. Cool. I like it. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about The Shift, which mm. is your new your new book. Oh, yes. There it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> book called The Shift. Spoilers. The Shift. It's a book. <laughs> and we're going to talk about whatever else you want to talk about, too. But but the thing we do, as you know, mm. on Heathen Podcast, mm. having been a previous guest, is that we ask our guests to introduce themselves in a way uh, that suits you and that makes you feel good and, and that um, is how you like people... <laughs> To know you, so there's money <laughs> being thrown at us right now. You guys, we lost our, we lost our. We've missed our window. <laughs> we did miss the window. Yeah, it's okay. Heathens, if you hang out with us at all, you know 
how we roll. Yeah. Um, so this is it. Colby, one more time. Yeah. We're going to ask you to introduce yourself to the folks of Heathen Podcast. All right. Uh, full name, Colby Brenneman Martin. Oh. Um, which one of those three surprised you? I'm just kidding. The choice. It wasn't. <laughs> oh, okay. I knew what your full name was, but the choice to reveal it. Um, I am about six feet, two and a half. <laughs> About a hundred and currently seventy-eight pounds. Um, identify as straight white man. Uh-huh. Constantly seeking to be better than I am. Mm. So perpetual miscontent, or is it malcontent? I don't mm. know. Uh, not right con- there. not content with my current state of who I am. Like even the, even this morning. Okay, here's a here's a window into me and. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to call it my neuroses, but I do that with a, a, a tenderness, I think. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of judgment. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, oh God, this is going to get real vulnerable real fast. I wasn't prepared to talk about this. Uh, how do I say this without revealing all the things I didn't want to reveal? I I don't know, but I can't wait to see. Yeah, how right. <laughs> now we're riveted. Really we're very excited. Because now I've, I've waded into waters that I'm going to uh, drown in. But, um, <laughs> So we're recording this just like a little over a week after the book came out. Yeah. And as your listeners will know, the book came out in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, which almost any professional book marketer advises against. Mm-hmm. You just, you just, <laughs> sure. Based on you historical should, precedent just, or like... I think guts. Yeah. Just based on book marketer, their intuition tells them don't release a book during... <laughs> A worldwide pandemic. Um, so it's on, the, it's on the list of don'ts. It's on the list of don'ts. So I, so that's obvious, and it's across the board. Just the whole economy, where most industries is struggling. Right. Uh, so I had the opportunity on Fridays. Authors, if you have books on Amazon, you can go into your author profile and you can pull up the in. I think it's NBD or some sort of book scan metric that tells you, gives you a close estimate of your book sales over the last week. Um, and I periodically check it for my first book, just out of curiosity, just to sort of measure how the thing's doing. And I was afraid to check it today because I have seen for the last five weeks since quarantine really began, my first book has just plummeted. Like whatever its normal sales are, it sells about 20% per week than what it has been for the last three years, like a, like a big drop. Um, and I'm like, well, that's just normal, but, uh, or it feels normal. It just feels feels appropriate. Yeah, it feels appropriate. So I knew I had all the self-talk in the world to tell myself like that first Friday you check sales on the shift, you have to be okay with knowing that that's going to be way lower than whatever, whatever number you think you would be okay with (laughs) Colby, prepare yourself because Mm -hmm. it's not going to be enough for you. You have to just know (laughs) that. And I had to tell myself all the reasons why like the pandemic and just all the things, um, None of the self-talk worked, you guys. So <laughs> expectations I, I, still right where they were. I looked before. at the number today, and my heart just sank. Mm. It just, just, uh, so disappointed and so sad. But here's what happened. Okay, so this is all me introducing myself, right? This yeah. is all yeah, part of the introduction. This might just be the entire podcast, if that's Perfect. all right. Uh, so here's what happened for me. I saw the number, um, completely bummed by it. So I, 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 I sank really fast into a. Uh, a a deep existential pool of that's it. Your career as an author is over Mm -hmm. because that's what naturally that that is the next step. That's the story I tell myself, right? right? As if this book tanks, then nobody will ever want to have a book by me again. And also 
uh, 10 days into a book is enough evidence to decide it's <laughs> right. tanky, right? Yeah. These are all the stories I tell myself. Um, so I'm like, that's it. It's over. There, there goes my career. At least, at least I love my day job because you know, that's my, that's my, that's my day job. This uh-huh. was just my extracurricular and it just didn't work out. I guess I'm done with that. Um, <laughs> And I don't have any idea what this I, is like. I living know this you way. have. We, this is totally foreign to you. Followed by, so that lasted for maybe five seconds. Followed by a, uh, Colby, you you knew this was coming. Yeah. Like you, like be better than this. Don't let this get you down. Mm-hmm. There's no reason. You know all the. You know all the logic behind this. You know that it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know that everybody's struggling right now in this. Like. That you should not be sad about this. The fact that you are getting sad about this is just your ego coming online saying that you are somehow bigger than you really are and you should be disappointed at a sales number. So after my five second plummet, then I just shot back up into it. Nope, I'm fine. Moving on. I got work to do. This is great. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work. <laughs> About 10 seconds after that, I'm like, wait a minute. This is what I always do. <laughs> I skip the feeling part mm-hmm. and I just do the feeling about mm-hmm. the feeling. Yeah. So instead of the feeling, which was undeniable, like yeah. that was what first came up. Right. sadness, disappointment, being bummed. I went to a feeling about that, which was, no, you shouldn't have those feelings because you, yes, you know, you know better. You can logic your way out of all this. Yeah. Uh, and so I thought, you know what? I know enough about myself at this point that I should try something different <laughs> than what I've done <laughs> for the last 37 years of my life. So I opened up a journal program on my computer and I just started to just like write out my feelings. Like, well, here's the day today. And I checked my sales figures and this is what it was. And I'm really sad about that. Mm. And when I started typing, I realized, oh, actually I'm embarrassed by it. I'm yeah. embarrassed because I can imagine, I'm imagining, it's probably not real. Imagining yeah. the conversations of the people at the publishing house that are now realizing this investment that they made is not paying off. Again, 10 days is not enough to know if it's paid off. doesn't matter. Like right. this is, that's what's real, but this is where I'm at. Uh, and I'm just typing this out. I'm embarrassed. Um, I can't handle the thought of people not thinking I'm the best and so this number on the screen is now telling me I'm not the best. Uh, and so I just journaled out all, like I tried to just feel it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I think I did a decent, for me, I did a great job Right. Yeah. <laughs> for your average feeler. This was excellent. <laughs> this was, the fact that it was longer than five seconds of feeling you guys is a huge way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then at the end of it, I tried to just type out what is true. Not as a way to try to talk myself out of it, but just as a way to ground myself. Like for once the feelings are over, then there actually are some things I can anchor to that, right. that I have a wife that I adore. I have kids that I love. I have a day job that I'm so lucky to have. I've gotten to write two freaking books in the world that have my name on them published by legit publishing companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a worldwide pandemic. So I started at the end sort of just anchor myself and all that. Um, and then I'm like, take three deep breaths and then move on with other things of your day and let, and let this go. And for the most part, I think it really worked. Like I have, I, um, I just, I kind of moved on with my day. And so all that to say, I am Colby. I am a constant work in progress. (laughs) (laughs) Even today, I had some real demolition happening that, uh, I'm trying to just, I guess, improve myself. I don't know. I think that's kind of a big deal though. Like that journaling thing is rad. That's that feeling, the feeling about your feelings thing is 100% the reason why conflict resolution is always hard for me because I'm always trying to solve the way I feel about the feeling instead of the way I feel, which is a loop that you get into with people and to stop and to do that. And just, I love that on both sides of that internal conversation, like the answer is you are not bigger than the pandemic. Like, Mm. 
it's your ego saying, you know, like I should have been able to sell this book and make it bigger than the pandemic, but also like I should be able to not feel sad about this massive, like terrible thing that's going on and how it's ruined. And like the answer on both of those sides is just like, this thing is big and out of our control and there's just nothing to be done about it either way, except vacillate between being frustrated and feeling like you have some semblance of emotional stability. (laughs) That's it. But also, I have a really important question that's going to bother me forever. Is saying global pandemic like saying ATM machine? Please clarify. Well, because like, doesn't pandemic mean <laughs> like global epidemic? Oh, ATM machine, an automated teller machine machine? Right. So when you global say, because glo- I say global pandemic all the time and every time oh, I'm like, saying M-I-B. pandemic implies the global part. Yeah, because a, a pandemic, pandemic is a global epidemic. Epidemic for pan. Isn't it? Like, doesn't pan mean like everywhere? In the Hunger Games, Pan Am does mean the whole country. Heathens, please weigh in on this very important question. And panentheism does mean God in all things. Right. This is my question. So the, this is the demic in all things. Obviously, this is the thing You're I right. need to know. I can't say global pandemic anymore. Oh, thank you. I'm I just, just I say, think I needed you to suffer with me no, on this. No, this is great. I'm <laughs> moving on. I'm crazy. not calling it a global demic. <laughs> That's my solution. This is what I've done. I'm taking out the pan. Everyone, this is my fault. I'll I'll own it. It's mine. Welcome Welcome to a conversation that has been overrun by Enneagram 3, (laughs) y'all. Improved by Enneagram 3. Did I I mean that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was my favorite introduction we've ever gotten on the podcast. That was amazing. Thank you Um, for stepping into vulnerable places and kicking us off right away. Yeah. We like vulnerability here. I don't know if y'all know that, but... We do? Yeah. Oh. It's kind of built in. Shit. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, should we talk right uh, talk about the book right away? Like, let's get into it, since this is the thing... You mean the best-selling the book? Best-selling. The best-selling. Shift. That's right. Manifest uh, that action right now. Sales are fine, you guys. I'm fine. It's fine. You, you are fine. <laughs> you absolutely are fine. Um, I have lots of plans still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure you do. The release for this thing was epic. I will uh, say that. It was. Fun you can't take that away, right? Fantastic. You can't take that away. That lives forever on the internet now. It does. Uh, because that's what we do. We can all in, go back and revisit it anytime yeah, we want. In the time of Corona, we, we have to do all of our things on the internet. And you pulled out somehow this massive, incredible um, blockbuster of an event through Facebook mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that we were fortunate enough to participate in. But... You had a roster of guests that were just, it was star-studded. You were on fire all night. You were just like, it was, it was the brightest and happiest I think I've ever seen you through a computer screen. It was just such a great time. Um, so I, I was I was very impressed and very proud of how you pulled together. When you can't do your book release in person with yeah. the people in the room, which there's nothing like that. Um, let's name it and claim it. I mean, sure. that's that's the downside of all this is that we are painfully aware of how powerful um, in-person human interaction is. But, um, and in its stead, and, <laughs> and in its stead, you managed to create an event that I thought was just spectacular and moving. Mm. And uh, I learned things, like it wasn't just, a, 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 not that having just a celebration is just anything. That would yeah. be great if it were a celebration. But in addition to celebrating, it was this like moving, impactful, emotional time to learn from people so i don't know 
you talk about whatever you want, obviously, but that's where that, that that's the the piece that really stuck out to me um, as this book came out was, which we'll link to it. We'll put it in the show notes. People can go watch this. Thing. Yeah. What I loved, I'm, I'm gonna. He said, "You talk. I'm gonna talk." That's great. That's great. Um, you I, mean singular and plural, so you were very much yeah. implied in that. I you. was in the you. Um, <laughs> What I loved about that, though, because the topic of your book is not dissimilar from the topic of this podcast, like it True. deals a lot with religious, deals entirely with religious deconstruction and reconstruction and trying to figure out that whole mess of transitioning from uh, one form of belief to another definition of belief. And what I loved about the book release party that I think is probably, I don't know if I want to say better, but different than it would have been in an in-person Book release parties i loved in the comments i loved how you managed to curate the story of that experience mm. like you managed to get a bunch of people in who have lived that experience and sort of in a way like live action do the book <laughs> in, in this cool way that i don't think you would have been able to do in quite totally. the same way in yeah. person and i loved watching people experience that in the comments for the first time what we have the luxury of experiencing all the time mm. with sojo with you with heathen just like the familiarity and the normalcy of the story and the safety of it uh, but watching people have that experience for the first time in the comments, just listening to this book launch, I thought was really, really cool. Mm. Like they just took it to a different level where it wasn't just about, you know, we're going to sell 40 of these books in the next 20 minutes. Yeah. It was just, you know, mm -hmm. this is a, a real life experience that's happening to real people in real time. And mm -hmm. uh, it was really beautiful. Mm. Yeah. When you do this kind of work for a living or just if you have a podcast like we do, it, it can be really easy to... Um, not get jaded, but just, but just it becomes a little more normal. The the journey, the shift, um, the the journey of deconstructing and reconstructing and, and figuring out how to navigate the world. So it was really cool to see people who were kind of having light bulbs flash for them yeah. in real time, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, because you at least I was reminded this isn't like normal for everyone. A lot yeah. of people still are, are this they don't know. They have not yet encountered communities where. Um, it's okay to ask these questions and go through this process and um, where they know that they're going to be supported and loved. So that was really lovely to see too. Have yeah. a real time, but we've talked a lot now about your book. So <laughs> How did you actually feel? hand it over to you, Colby? <laughs> how I, no, thank you for that uh, feedback on how the, the live stream book release extravaganza landed for you too. Cause that, I, I, that was one of my hopes, right? So one of my hopes was, yeah, just, to celebrate the release of the book, but the other hope was to um, put together an event that would somehow stand on its own as not just interesting and engaging, but um, uh, helpful and empowering. And um, yeah, so I was really happy with it. So if you're listening to this, you can you can rewatch the the entire event on my Facebook page and also my YouTube page. I recommend the YouTube page for better quality because Facebook after you would run a live video then really compresses the crap out of it right. youtube is nice and high def but then in facebook you, the benefit to that is you get all the comments you can like experience in real time what you're talking about yeah. uh and then i've spent the last couple of days chopping up the entire broadcast into each individual segment so i'm going to next week release so if you just want to see the conversation for instance with heathen podcast you can watch that if you just want to see the segment with brian mclaren or glennon doyle um but it, it was a yeah it was a ton of fun great event i'm really i think karen you're spot on that I, it it honestly did allow me to do things that would not have been possible. I mean, I was super stoked for the event I had planned, which was a Friday night at a brewery. I was going right, to rent out yeah. a couple of cabanas and just provide a bunch of free beer and appetizers for friends. Oh. 
and it would have been a super fun celebration it would have been nothing like what we did on tuesday yeah, yeah. and and uh, the impact would have been nothing like that um so i loved it i loved it uh yeah so you've you've said the name of the book the title is the shift the subtitle is surviving and thriving after moving from conservative to progressive christianity and the best way i've found that to, to talk about it is this it is it's not really a memoir mm -hmm. it's not really my story of losing my faith, even if there's a bit of that sprinkled in there. It's not really a book on deconstruction. There's a lot of those, which is like, here's what's wrong with the faith you were given. Right. And it's not even really a book about reconstruction. Like now then here's what to believe. Even though it has a little bit of all three of those in it. My hope with the book is to, was to provide a, a sense of, uh, uh, I don't know if a safety net or a soft place to land. You know, I call it a survival guide in some ways when you're in that liminal transition space between having left or been kicked out of for many people, yeah. your more conservative, religiously conservative context could be family, it could be church, whatever. And you find yourself moving towards the left, moving towards something more, what, you know, I might call progressive. That space is just fraught with a lot of this. You know, each person's story is individual and unique and specific, but there are some themes that seem to, and you guys know this really yep. well on this podcast, the themes show up with amazing regularity, the mm -hmm. themes of, uh, uh, of resentment about where we came from and what happened, uh, feelings of f confusion. Like, I don't even know what to think or believe anymore. Uh, fear, like well, now what do I do? Right. Uh, loneliness, so much loneliness. So mm -hmm. my hope was to normalize that in some ways for people. Right. Like this, this experience is hard. And the fact that it is hard for you doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It mm. is just hard. Yeah. And here's a few things that I've found in my own experience that have been helpful. A few things that I've found have been helpful to other people. Uh, and to the extent that, that you can maybe suffer a little less in this process, uh, that's, to me, that's what it's all, it's all about. I love that. It feels big brothery to me, the book, not in the hidden camera kind of way, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. just in the... You know, if you had, I don't have an older sibling, but I imagine having an older sibling, you know, you've got somebody who just went through high school before you and who then, you know, you come home crying because such yeah. and such happened to you and they go, Hey, yeah, I lived that. I came out the other side and it's okay. And that's, that kind of just reassuring. It's not advice. It's just like, I mean, there's, there is advice in sure. the book, but yeah. it's just more that, that feeling of like, I have been through this. Here's some of what I learned going through and take it or leave it, but yeah. here it is. And mm. You're not the first and you won't be the last. And yeah. I think it is such an isolating process. It is a process that feels so singular. Yeah. You, you, I don't know anyone who's gone through that who doesn't feel like they're kind of the only person in the moment who has experienced this. And a part of that, I think, is because we're so rooted in shame, right? A lot of us, especially if we grew up in this conservative evangelicalism, there's so much shame in that, that there is just a an immediate self-isolation that comes on when you you start to deconstruct. You're like, I am alone. I, I will lead others astray. I am a poison. I am, a, I am, you know. And I love, I love the breath. I keep, when I write reviews of this book, I keep using the word breath. But mm -hmm. I love that because it just feels like, okay, it's okay. Here you go. Mm -hmm. Grab your backpack. It's going to be all right. That's yeah. a beautiful thing. Uh, I can't remember if you did this in Unclobber too. I think you did. It, 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 if you didn't do it explicitly, it's definitely in how you approach pretty much everything I think you do in life. But you are, you're really clear in this book too that you're like, Here, here's who this is going to help. Like, here's the list of people who I think this is for kind of thing. And I love that you are 
you're totally wading into obviously really controversial stuff that any you know a lot of is going to pull a lot of attention right and arrows you know potentially uh, potentially negative attention meaning that folks who think that there is still only one way to do faith and it, yeah. it's very prescriptive like those folks are going to feel threatened by this and probably come after you <laughs> but um uh, I like that terrifying phrasing like on Twitter not like in real life no no yeah definitely hopefully not in real life <laughs> no. my gosh I wasn't even thinking that I'm <laughs> um, sorry uh, I'm not trying to make this sound scary I'm trying to say that I really valued with Unclobber that like that's it, it was a book for a very certain type of person who was going through a certain type of yeah. journey um, that they that implicitly they know they can't share with their community because it is the kind of thing that is going to draw attention negative attention arrows toward them if they were to say hey like i actually wonder if maybe it's okay that gay people are gay (laughs) and how does that work how does that fit into our spiritual world and with this one it's you've just taken the same approach you would just have a really like um it's your heart that's all it is i'm just trying to say that i just appreciate that you have a heart for people who the fear the isolation the loneliness um you're, you're you you're putting the foot out there and, tr- and blazing the, the trail for people to explore and experience the things that otherwise so many of us probably never would yeah um you know we just kind of suffer in silence or um or just never never just never go further than we are tempted to yeah um so when you are when you were raised in, or maybe not even raised, maybe you just came to it at, a, at a, some stage in your life, but w- when you go through a period of your life where you are either taught, so, so those of us who were raised in sort of conservative re- religious world, uh, we didn't have any choice in what we believed, really. It was just, right. our religious beliefs were just given to us in the same way that don't touch the stove because it's hot and it'll burn you was given to us. So right. we just, we accept these things as fact um, and they're they're embedded into us as capital T truth. We don't have mm-hmm. a choice in the matter. Great, totally fine. Totally normal. That's a part of what it means to be human. Uh, and then others, maybe later in life, will adopt some of these beliefs and they'll get ingrained into their brain as well. But when you either are taught or come to believe that the most important thing about you is that you believe the correct things about mm-hmm. God, that you know, that you somehow know the right things about God and believe right. them. When you are, uh, when you acquiesce to a particular religious framework that says that the way that you don't spend eternity uh, in conscious torment is to have the right theological beliefs about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, when you are raised to, to believe that the Bible is a perfect book uh, without error, essentially transcribed from the creator of, of the cosmos. And uh, when you are uh, raised to th- believe that going to church is a requirement mm-hmm. um, and that God likes you more when you go to church, mm-hmm. when those sorts of beliefs are a part of your DNA and you begin to experience your shift for whatever reason, um, you those the clothes of conservative Christianity just aren't fitting for you anymore. They're scratchy. They have rips in them. Your your limbs are just outgrowing them. Whatever it is, uh, it is hard. If you haven't experienced that, it is hard to understate 
just how unsettling it can be mm-hmm. to start in your own mind, let alone to anybody outside your mind, but in your own mind, start to wonder things like, does God really exist? Is it really like God out there that listens and hears mm-hmm. prayers and doesn't need anything in the world? Uh, it's really scary to start to be like, okay, maybe Jesus was a historical person, but really like God born to a virgin, like God in bones and skin and come back from the dead. Like we, we know people don't come back from the bed. When you start to look at the Bible and for the first time you realize how many contradictions it has and how many times it uh, not only contradicts itself, but contradicts well-known truth outside. Those are scary moments. Yeah. Yeah. And what I try to do in, so I have four chapters in the middle of the book, one about God, one about Jesus, one about Bible, one about the church. As I try, my hope to kind of echo what you're saying, my hope is that the reader will one feel seen that, um, asking these sorts of questions and having these sorts of doubts, totally normal. Like you are, you were right where you and everyone else is at this point. Like it's totally fine, um, to normalize it. Uh, and, and, and then give them permission to play with it a bit, just mm. play with it. And that's kind of why I, th- I started the book the way I did is to, to redefine faith as to not just be the collection of things that you believe, but a, a way that you orient yourselves towards this idea that transformation is not only possible, but, but good. So faith is actually constantly looking at what you believe and allowing yourself to assess it and evaluate and critique it. So that not only can you question God, Jesus, the Bible and the church, um, but you can have some safety in that to where not only do you not have to have the right answer, you don't even have to have an answer. Yeah. It's okay. It really is okay. And the whole chapter about Jesus is like, you know, you many people believe that you have to believe the right thing about Jesus, but it seems to me that Jesus was more just interested that you believe him. Mm-hmm. Not believe in him, but believe him. And by believe him, I just mean the guy was constantly talking about this new radical way of being human where mm-hmm. forgiveness is better than revenge, where love is better than hate, where mercy is better than sacrifice. Believe that. Believe that that sort of way of being human will lead you to life abundant. Uh, but it got changed into believing uh, some sort of doctrinal statement about Jesus. So my, my point is, is that, yes, the people that I'm trying, that I wrote this book for, is to give them permission and freedom to play with some of these beliefs and understand that it's okay if they don't have it figured out. And that um, f- maybe even figuring it out is overrated anyway. Mm. So, I don't know. I'll throw it back to you. If, if, if you go back and listen to those first few awkward episodes of this podcast, I mean, that is what, that's why this whole thing exists for yeah. us is because I was, I was out there like saying, well, people are asking, well, okay, Matthew, you, you, you've, you say you've deconstructed or you've left your faith or, you know, you're an apostate. What does that mean? What do you believe? What now do you believe? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, and I was asking myself that question for the very first time, I think, uh, seriously asking myself that question when I decided to start having conversations with some of my friends around it. Um, it's so, I, I hope, I really, Heathens, I just really hope that you like go back and rewind and just listen again to what Colby just said, because that was such a, a, a that speaks to everything, I think, that um, for everyone from me, who's someone who's, you know, has done like done the full casting off and just kind of almost angrily leaving yeah. um, what what hurt me in the past to someone who is very much uh, in it still 
doesn't want to necessarily leave. Like there's there's parts of your faith or your or your, your um, spiritual experience and your religious experience in the church or, or the the um, system or the group that you're involved in that you want to hang on to or you want to um, you're not ready to say goodbye to and, and maybe you never will be. Like the ability to have a little bit of levity and to just just play, mm-hmm. just just mm-hmm. hold it maybe a little more loosely and um, rid yourself of. of a little bit of the fear that that is endangering you in some way yeah. or, or that you're risking something by doing that. Um, because I, I guess now I speak, I speak to it coming from this other side of, um, I'm not as angry as I used to be about it all. And there are, you know, I, I, when I come back to it and, and it's coming back just means like, I mean, I never really left. I've been, I've, been, I've been a heathen and an apostate while also like leading worship music the entire time, pretty much, right? Um, it's fine. It's fine. That's what we do here. But, um, you know, I, I, like there's bits of those old pieces of clothing that I, every now and then I'm like trying back on and I'm like, oh, that doesn't feel as restrictive or as maybe that does reflect me a little Mm -hmm. more than I thought it did. It's just that when it was all together in this one big oppressive fur coat, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's what the deconstruction is, right? It's like, which layers of this thing do I, um, can I still wear with authenticity? So, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know where I'm going with all this, just that I really appreciate your heart behind Mm -hmm. that. It's so nice to have people who are doing that for us and, um, creating the space for us to, yeah. Not feel so alone. I know what I want to know. Can I ask you what I want to know? You want to mm-hmm. go back to vulnerability land for a second? <laughs> uh, I feel like I filled my cup for the day, but go on. Great. Okay. Here's what I want to know. Because overflow. like as an, as an Enneagram <laughs> three, like as an image projector, especially early in life, like getting it right, saying the right thing and, and being perceived as right by people in general, whoever the people are that we're trying to impress is, is paramount, right? Like that's an essential core desire to, to be perceived as right. And this is a, an interesting book to write for someone who is Hmm. oriented toward (laughs) being perceived as right. And I wonder, I think it's fascinating. I think it's especially fascinating when image projectors in leadership deconstruct religiously, because I think there's a layer of pressure around that experience that is hard to articulate and that doesn't necessarily exist for other people who aren't also trying to look like the really the best leader at the same mm-hmm. time. Is there a moment or a trajectory or a, a wave in your journey through all of this where you remember it sort of starting to become okay for you to be called a wolf in sheep's clothing or to be called a heretic and where that stopped was that originally kind of damning? Was there a time in your life where that would have been crippling criticism? And has that changed hmm. for you along the way? And how does it feel now? Man, I, yeah, I, I was trying to follow the rabbit in my own mind preparing to respond to that question. <laughs> but the damn rabbit kept taking four different paths. <laughs> the rabbit went on all kinds of directions. Like, as the question went on, I'm like, oh, no, I can't. No, that's not. Oh, wait. It, well, I was now. trying to nail a question anyway, so. No, no, no it's really fine. <laughs> it's I, just, I, I realized what I originally wanted to say is not how I actually want to respond to that. Mm. Um, because, yes, uh, absolutely, there was a season in my life where it would have been crushing 
to be called a heretic, to be accused of being unorthodox, um, to be brandished a a wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, And now I'm trying to remember Hmm. when the first season of my life when those sorts of uh, accusations started coming in, it was not too long after, it was before my first book came out, but I had put out some videos, that, that I'd, some lectures that I'd done on, on the clobber passages uh, to sort of debunk the six Bible verses that Christians have historically used to justify their discrimination against LGBTQ people. And those were on YouTube, and that was, you know, YouTube's just a cesspool for right. uh, people who want to say cruel yeah, things. Great first place to throw that kind of stuff out there. And I remember at that point when the heretic and false teacher and all that started coming through, uh, th- those, those arrows were felt like freaking nerf darts. Like mm-hmm. it didn't, th- those didn't mean a thing to me. Now maybe it's because they were complete strangers, but I think it's more because at that point I had gone through a particular cost analysis wherein I understood that whatever whatever attacks I might take, whatever arrows I might take as a aforementioned straight white identifying man, uh, these arrows not only pale in comparison to the ones that are actually flung at in that so in that example, uh, queer people, uh, not only the, the the arrows pale in comparison, but they 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 tend to damage me far less. So I know that I can take, a number of arrows um, where just one of those, if they hit the person behind me uh, who's in a more marginalized position, might be enough to take them out for damn good reason. Because right. that person has had to work so hard in their life just to even exist. And then someone comes along and slings one of these arrows at them. It could take them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think when when those accusations started coming in, in mass, uh, not only did they, they just, they landed in a different way. It was like, call me whatever you want. I don't care. Like I'm trying to provide a shield for those for whom your arrows will legitimately do harm to. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I will take it like, cause, cause I just know that I can like, and in part cause the world has been bent in my favor. So, um, that's, that's part of the way that I can use my privilege. I think is to accept the arrows, uh, and know that, um, that they won't take me out. Mm -hmm. So that's how, at the end of your question, that was how that was the response that that came up. Um, but I will just respond how I thought I was going to respond at the beginning, yeah. which is, I still have to be honest with, um, I still have to be honest with the the part of me, and I and I love that part of me. It's a wonderful part of me. I adore it. It's done great work for me, and it will continue to do great work for me. But I still there's that part of me that comes up that it's like, oh cool, now I I still have the right answer. The right answer is just that there is no right answer. Yeah. So it's like, a different right answer. I, 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 I still get I, I still get energized by that. Right. Um, by yeah. by 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 peddling, you know, that mm. you don't need to have certainty with great certainty. Right. So, exactly. Um, <laughs> so that, that's a that. loop that I just I know it's there, and and unless my unless I want to just never write anything again or never say anything right. again Which... from a public platform, then I just have to always live with that as part of the cycle that goes on in my brain. But. Yeah. Um, I want to keep talking and writing. Therefore, I know, all right, that's mm-hmm. always going to be a little bit there. And I just, right. I'm aware of it. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, there has to at some point there has to be a line where we go, okay, I'm pretty sure about this thing, and I'm going to throw it out there. Like yeah, we can't, at mean, least sure enough. Otherwise, right. Right, yeah, why write a book? Yeah. Like, why, why do why do, why do much of yes. anything? Yes. Yes. I don't know. Do I want ice cream? Maybe uh, decisions. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. like we've got to do it. But yeah. I love that, and I think that there's. Um, I think there. I don't know if this is true for you. It was definitely true for me in that trajectory where, I think the thing that I thought was the right answer before, always felt so shaky and fragile to me. Uh, like when I was back in evangelical conservative Christianity, I was paranoid about that all of the time. Like it felt very threatenable, even when I was very sure about it. I was very offended by people who questioned it, very like worried about it. And there is, I love the, the new the new right of, you know, there isn't a right answer. The right answer of there isn't a right answer has such a, a stable floor for me in a mm. way that I'm, I'm, I'm so much less self-conscious going into a, conversation now because I'm not worried about like I have to actually yeah. like get my facts straight and get the whole thing right and like ooh, if I quote this wrong or if I put this wrong thing in here like what if I what if I don't have this theological point correct mm. um has given me incredible freedom do you okay you know what else is coming up for me uh, based on what you just said there yeah. and this is gonna be a little bit hokey but I, I think also another way to to, to do the hokey pokey to, <laughs> turn it right around to contrast the me now versus the the, the me of whatever 10 years ago is I, it's just not about what's right anymore for me. It's about what's good. And, yeah. I, and I feel like the stuff that I'm peddling in the shift is, is good. good. It's yeah. good. Mm. Whether it's right or not, I, that is really honestly... <laughs> right. I, one of my favorite parts about the, uh, the way the, the, the ancient Jews uh, dreamt that the world came to be was that in their imagination, uh, God gave dominion to humans for almost infinite number of activities, minus one. And the one activity that the divine said, look, humans, I think you're going to mess this one up, is the capacity to know the right, the difference between right and wrong, good right. and evil. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you know what's right and wrong, you're going to screw this whole enterprise up. <laughs> so I don't think we're ever really, uh, I just don't think we're very good at knowing what's right or wrong. Hmm. But I do think we have... Um, we can more finely tune our radars for what is good. What is what is fruit bearing? What yeah. leads towards more lightness and peace and wholeness? Uh, so yeah, the, the stuff in the shift, whether it's right or not, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm gonna guess it's somewhere between ninety and ten of what's right, right and what's wrong. <laughs> I don't even know which yeah. number I'm gonna put in which category. <laughs> I just know that I don't know, but I know that it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that it's good. I, I don't have any doubt in my mind that it's good yeah so absolutely i I, love that yeah me too i um i mean that is a shift like that that alone is a shift in values that that you've experienced clearly i i I was fascinated by and this can be one of those things that if, if i bring this up and you don't want to talk about it we'll totally go cut it um later but i was fascinated by the post you put earlier i think this week where you had a screenshot of something from 12 years ago on yeah, Facebook, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, which I can't even believe that like, I can see things from my life on Facebook 12 years ago. That's, that's <laughs> it's a bit harrowing. Yes. Yeah. You're old. Um, but you had this screenshot. It was very much like a creedal statement. Like I believe, yeah. I don't remember exactly what it said, but you know, God, the father, you know, Jesus died, was raised again, very atonement, like all of that yes. was in there. Creed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was just like a, a statement that, you had posted with 
kind of devoid of any context. That's right. It was just, I believe in Jesus and yeah. that he died for our sins yeah. and raised from the dead. Like, but just, I loved what yeah. it brought up for you <laughs> oh, in God. your comments about it. Cause you yeah. reposted it and was like, yeah. Oh my gosh, like this, this brings up a lot of feeling and a lot of emotion for me because I, I remember why I felt why compelled I that. to yeah. say these things is because I, at the time you were like life livelihood was threatened, right? You like, were essentially like, like publicly yeah. praying the sinner's prayer. Yeah. Yes. Like that's yes. kind of what that was, right? Yeah. Like, I was flying the Christian flag so that my yeah. superiors and the major donors in the church saw that I was still on their team. Um, mm. Yeah. That po- so <laughs> yeah, as soon as I read, yeah, the right, the, the context was that just two days before that I had shared a video hip hop artist named propaganda did a Mm -hmm. spoken word piece and I I shared it and I'm like, in terms of communicating the theory of penal substitutionary atonement, this is amazing. Yeah. And just the fact that I used the word theory, uh, was enough for people in my church to, um, you mean the absolute truth upon which we have based our entire existence? Yes. Right. Yes. Well, yeah. You know, Part of my initial early argument, which didn't meet any uh, applause, was just like theory is just one way that scholars talk about a thing. We're not saying it's not true; it's just how we talk about the things. But that didn't fly with people. But they legit there were <laughs> there were legitimate people in the church who called the pastor that like as soon as that post went up, and with panic is like is the church? So you're saying the church does the church no longer believe that Jesus died for our sins? Um, so I I took a lot of heat for that, and yeah, so then that so then a couple of days later I just did the vague book passive aggressive posting of mm-hmm. like if anybody's curious i believe followed by a bunch of things that at the time matthew i i probably didn't fully believe yeah, is, right? the, is the is the honest truth I get it. and i even I, I i didn't i was trying to keep my the post that i shared the other day under 700 words so i didn't have the chance to go into this but i even <laughs> remember the verse that I quoted was from one John that Jesus died for our sins, but not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. (laughs) I even remember choosing that verse a decade ago because Uh, it had this little, little like loophole, little, little, uh, (laughs) little hanging thing in there, like of the whole world, which Mm -hmm. is not a thing that evangelical Christians want to acknowledge. They just want that Jesus died for our sins and not be like, what if, what if, what if the whole world is good? Um, So I even remember like, sort of passive aggressively just flying the Christian flag saying, no, I'm still on your team, but also I'm going to embed this little jab in here so that you have to think about these words. Um, but it was miserable. This, mm. And then which is your point, which is what it brought up for me the other day. It was like, that was miserable, miserable to be in a context where I couldn't even, I just couldn't think about these things. Yeah. I couldn't think about them. I couldn't talk about them. I couldn't engage with them without the threat of, um, of truly of being of being fired, which then a couple months later I was anyway, so yeah. <laughs> didn't even matter. But uh, um, I know I, it was miserable, know it miserable feeling. So well, I remember being in the place of having just having very strong suspicions that like my happiness was not a bad thing, yep. <laughs> and, and and having to say things like and 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 believing it too for myself for my own safety and security that you know I will I will. It was such a phased. Uh, you know, um, journey for me coming out was it was okay well i struggle with same-sex attraction okay i'm gay that's not going to change i'm going to commit to a life of singleness and celibacy like all of those moments i just remember like always seeing just beyond and being like i I suspect that i would be okay over there (laughs) um and i have a i have a i just have a feeling i just have like this this pull and this this draw in me that like i'm supposed to be there Mm -hmm. and yet i'm going to like 
uh, restrict myself and, and just box myself in because it's so freaking scary and the misery that that comes yeah. Yeah. with that. So that's such a marked difference between where we are today, where we're talking uh, about you, you, you put out this story and, 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 and said exactly like, this is for you and whoever else is throwing these slings and arrows. It's not, it is so worth it to be in this space that I'm in now and then to invite other people into it. It's so, so wonderful. Did you mourn your, like when you were committed to your life of celibacy and singleness, like, did you go through a mourning process of, or were you? Of what could have been? Of what or, could have been, of just like a yeah. vision for your life? Oh yeah. Well, for, cause my vision, again, we've talked about what we are given in these very fundamentalist conservative spaces where we grew up. And so my vision for my life was the one that was given to me, which was, right. I was going to marry a woman obviously right. one day. Um, and even as I started to grow up and realize that there were things that conflicted with that, <laughs> I still was like, that's still the thing. So yeah, I had, yeah. I had, I did, I had to mourn the loss of that even like the, right. Oh, like I'm not going to be married to a woman. Like that's sad. And I have right. to process that. Um, because, and, and all the, the expectations that, uh, that I'm, letting down even in myself mm -hmm. for what that what that life would have looked like but then i was also mourning because for me so there were well there was one moment in particular where my first kiss uh was a surprise and uh and happened during a time when i was really like weighing do i do i move forward with exploring my my sexual identity as i you know as it seems to be or do i you know stick with um, the tried and true heteronormal life, heteronormative life that yeah. yeah that's been prescribed to me and um and I, a guy kissed me uh, and it was it, it was I didn't even know I was on a date that night I mm. thought I was <laughs> hanging out with like probably thought I was evangelizing you know like because this it was in the context of the church that we were planting and this guy <laughs> had had found us and was hanging out and um and that's one of those moments I'm talking about when I just remember Wait, like he, he he kissed you and yeah, you didn't yeah. see it coming. I mean, I did by the end of the night. Sure, sure, sure. Like, as we said goodbye, like, I, there was energy and I could tell what was happening. Did you ever find out from him what, did he get cues from you that he, that that would be a move that m might have been on some level I was so accepted? Like, I'm just I was suddenly so, in awe of this other pe person. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I was so relationally stunted at this point that no, like, I never went back and had that conversation. I, I went back and I, I had a conversation with him, which was... I can't do this. Yeah. Um, but even in that conversation, I remember being like, like, you're great. Like there's nothing wrong with you and the way you're, you, you're living your life. is just me personally. I can't go here. Um, but that was one of those moments where I was like looking at what could have been. And I was like, I think I'm supposed to like, I think mm. that is actually where I'm supposed to be mm. right now is with this person and, and exploring that part of life and um, the misery that, came when I like then because the very next day I went to my friend and pastor who I was starting a church with and and was like this happened um and that was that's the one thing I am I'm really like proud of myself for over the years is I was always very like like the day I did finally admit to being gay from then on I was like I'm never having the double life again like I'll never yeah. keep all these secrets it's too much it's just too much so I was always very like so this happened you know like I I kissed a guy last night what what does that mean Where, what do i do and, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh uh just the 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 way that conversation went down and the reaction from my friend and how quickly i realized 
that I had overstepped for this for the space that that we yeah. were, that I that we were creating that I you know had misunderstood. <laughs> I thought we were in a space that was going to be a little more open and um, permissive for the questions. Um, so I, I reeled it back not, immediately. Oh, yeah. Reeled it back immediately, and it was just like, oh, okay, no, no, no. that, and that's the moment I decided Man. to do the single celibate thing for like yeah. five years. So that that hope that you had. And that I had, mm. and I'm sure we get Karen on this. She could tell a story of a time. I also time. got in trouble about the time for I put on Facebook a thing that the church didn't like. Yeah, it. where you, you yeah. had this hope where, mm-hmm. like, we can, we can have, we can talk. This is completely. This would be okay, right? Like, yeah. we can, we can, yeah. we can kick the tires on this idea, right? Yeah. We can, we can maybe have some intellectual curiosity around it, right? Yeah. Or, no. or in your case, like, I can in that framework, I can admit to you that I failed in this area mm-hmm. and it's going to be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that, that doe eyed overly optimistic hope that so many of us had mm. that these places were um, going to be receptive to this. It's, ah, I, you know, it's, I'm crying because as you said that, what I'm thinking is childlike faith is what that sounds like to me. That sounds like innocence, that belief. Mm. That sounds like innocence. That sounds like, faith like a child who just believes that people are good believes that things are good believes that they are good and goes in and to have that shut because i was i would like you in the middle of the conversation is when i realized oh oh Mm -hmm. oh we can't do this here and then had to like try to weasel my way out of the room and say the right thing yeah and like say the right thing to get out of the room and then i got out of the room and i was like fuck like (laughs) what happened but what did Faith, it, it, okay. it, yeah, faith like, of a child, absolutely, right? and that's that's the beauty and the gift of now. I think is being able to look back on those versions of ourselves from yesteryear yeah. and be like, "You were a person of faith in that moment." Yeah. So and much, no, like like yeah. no one would have ever given you that yeah. affirmation in the moment. Um, you were doing exactly the thing that you yeah. are saying is the definition of faith now. Is the deliberate return to that question, yeah. the willingness to ask it, even if it makes the ground shake. Just the know? sense that there's a light right over here, yeah. and I'm just if I turn a little bit, I'll right. be able to get a bit more of its glow. And, and we got smacked on the wrist of no. And the fundamental forward. trust that that light is big enough and bright enough yeah. to handle. Like yeah. Colby asks this question, yeah. and the light's not going to be like. Yeah. Get out of here. I I I have four children and not once have I ever had the thought where the most important thing to me as a father to my kids is that they uh have the correct ideas about me and about my job and about my <laughs> what I like and what I, they that is what matters most in this family is that yeah. you have the right ideas about me. Totally brutal what yeah. a brutal and harsh narcissistic thought of first of, of all <laughs> of, of some sort of god like that's just it's brutal mm-hmm. um, yeah and it's absurd yeah and it doesn't it's small that's the thing so that i small. think i come back yeah. to over and over again it's just this very small like that god is small mm-hmm. he's impotent yeah. and puny you know like that god this male masculine big violent dominant god is scared of the word theory yeah yeah yes. and that can yeah. ruin him and that to me says mm, like i don't then that god needs to die yeah if you're if your strong thing is that fragile i question its strength but what i love 
in those stories and in the like I was just thinking as you're talking that like one of my favorite definitions of resurrection in life is just how many times how many different places along that story you kind of give up the life that you have now like it, it died this version of you that exists this moment yeah. died so many times along the way I remember sitting in my car after my first divorce mourning my future babies that I was never going to have because like I was never going to be able to get remarried and I was never going to be able to have kids and I was mm. giving that up and choosing to leave this marriage um, and just mourning literally the life that I have in this moment like I mourned not ever being able to have this thing that I have yeah. and that's yeah <laughs> That's beautiful. Like that's, I mean, it's unnecessary mourning that I really, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't change it. I'm glad we are where we are now telling these stories, but what a waste of vision, you know, what yeah. a, what a, what a waste of Ooh. tears in my car because the well, light was big enough. Yeah. I mean, waste and yet like, I don't know. I think about necessary. The, yeah. Necessary. Completely. Right. Like I think. For me, I'm actually realizing in this moment, like one of those, one of the things I mourned, which, I, you know, it's such a random detail to, to mourn, but I, forever I had always wanted um, the song, I Want You To Be My Love by Over The Rhine to mm -hmm. be my wedding song. Right. And, um, and I remember mourning it twice, like, like that specific thing though, like right, that, that, like that specific song, like, oh, I'm not gonna, you know, get married to... A woman like like or, or the first time I'm mourning it in that context and the second time was mourning it when I was like well I'm gonna be like legitimately be single and celibate and um and yet I got I got to have that moment Karen you provided that moment for me at my wedding <laughs> we can't cry anymore we have to stop it we're, we're like that 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 came so full circle but it was it was a I don't know resurrection looks like a lot of different things and sometimes it's just a song that you always wanted to Right. Have at your wedding. And I don't know if it's right, but I know that it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. That, to me, that, the bigness of that, it's return, that is undeniably good. Mm. It's just good. Mm. It's good. Hey, I asked you before this podcast started if there was a part of your book that didn't get talked about on podcasts very much that you wanted to talk about, and there's not been a natural transition into this part of your book at all in this entire conversation. Oh, I've loved it. But should we, do you want to, do we want to touch on it for a little while? Do we want to go into there? Do you want to go into the depths of your uh, book? It's your show. I mean, it's your show. Yes. We do. Yes. Matthew says yes. It's your show. <laughs> Here we um, are. Yeah. So maybe one one transition statement is to say this: that uh, I alluded to four chapters in the middle that uh, that sort of tackle some of the common theological obstacles that people run into on the shift. God, Jesus, Bible, Church. The book starts by sort of reimagining how faith could be. Uh, experienced and then the four chapters at the end mm -hmm. so some people might really like those middle chapters of hell you know hell, give me some other ways to sort of think through god jesus bible church or help just normalize the fact that i don't know what to think about it great some people that might not be as interesting for but i think then for them maybe the last four chapters which is okay um what about that moment when you start to think back on your previous self and what you used to think and believe and do and have great shame and embarrassment and regret because that's a real thing that happens mm -hmm. in the shift. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another chapter on um, what do you do when your old self uh, comes online and starts to wage war with your new emerging shifting self? Because your old self fought hard to get here. Thank you very much. Like right. we overcame right. a lot to build up this person that we have uh, that we are today, and now you have this these, this new person that wants to emerge. And mm -hmm. like, no, thank you. So how do you? 
uh, how do you handle the, the war that gets waged within our own souls when it transformation comes up? And then the, the chapter then Karen that you were helping lead us to was so graceful. there's another, there's another thing that happens when, when uh, people experience the shift, when they start to move into more uh, progressive left-leaning uh, circles for, for the first time, they come out with this sort of great enthusiasm, especially if people in that process of the shift experience a sort of uh, awakening to social injustices. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start to, to just have their, their eyes and ears open to some of that stuff. They start to really get excited about that sort of activist space. Uh, and then <laughs> there's a delivery. Oh, <laughs> so we have a masked delivery person in the time of Corona at the back door, at the back which door. is very I exciting. No, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I live for these moments. <laughs> he was not gonna just drop off that package and leave. He needed confirmation. I saw him at the front door, and then he like legit went down the stairs and came around to the back. I need to see so. you. That's fantastic. It. That's amazing. So the experience is what happens when you start to take what I call friendly fire for the first time. So mm-hmm. you, you're in this more progressive space and you get really excited about some ideas and you start sharing it. And you suddenly, just like we talked about getting slapped on the wrist earlier from someone who doesn't want you to turn your eyes towards the light. Now you're getting slapped on the wrist from people that you thought you were on the same team with. And it can be really jarring. It can be really unsettling to, I think the chapter is titled when progressives attack, mm-hmm. uh, off-putting it can too. be super off-putting and uh so in the chapter i try to engage with that in what i hope is a compassionate and understanding way to to, to try to give a little bit of context for why that might be happening why you might be experiencing some friendly fire yeah uh, and how to navigate that with grace and compassion while at the same time also i think this was a little more indirect to try and speak to those who might be friendly firing, mm-hmm. uh, to maybe pull back the reins a yeah. bit. Um, but that was a tricky chapter to write. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it succeeded in the tone I was going for. Mm. Um, so I'll be interested if your readers, Hey readers, read that chapter please. Mm-hmm. And then at Colby Martin, let me know what you thought. And just like, I'm, just shoot on Twitter. Exactly what you chapter. think. I don't care. So don't hold back. Friendly fire. I just, I'm curious what you think about that. So um, what did you guys think about that? Well, chapter? here's the thing. Uh, confession. I haven't finished the book yet. Oh, <laughs> oh, wait. Um, all right. Let me go get it. Um, no, I'm wondering actually, if, is, is, would you be willing or can you allude to a little bit to what your advice or approaches in that just uh, without giving away I, I want people to buy the book so yeah. don't, don't give away the punch no no, no. I have uh, f- for me whenever someone's about to do it I'm going to do it super boring and unengaging so I apologize listener I'm going to read one <laughs> just better. quick paragraph but I'll try to read it in a more interesting way so here's, it, can you do voices so here, here's, <laughs> here's this sets up the chapter what to do when progressives attack and I, and I write this Progressives, as the kids ramp up all the noise upstairs, uh, progressives wage attacks on other progressives that they deem either not progressive enough or not progressive in the right sorts of ways. And discerning when to dodge those attacks and not get caught up in the fight or when to humbly accept their strikes and thereby learn from the pain can not only determine your own survival, but it can improve the overall health and well-being of your new communities. So when progressives attack, and they will... I suggest we conduct ourselves with, and then I list five things. One, open eyes. Try to be aware of others' pain. 
two, mm. soft hearts. Be a safe place for the wounded. Because I talk about how people are, are striking out for good reasons. Like yeah. They are the sunburned people that you come up and give a big bear hug to right. not knowing that they right below the surface they are yeah. deeply wounded. Uh, three, understanding ears. Try to listen compassionately and understand why they're responding the way they are. Uh, number four, synergized speech, which is my way of talking about respecting both the intent and the impact. So I've noticed that a lot of progressives have now overemphasized that impact is all that matters. Yeah. Suddenly intent is irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and I think that we need There's to a have There's a whole podcast there. And then finally, uh, and this would be a great way to wrap this up, is to uh, a resolute spine. So my advice is when progressives attack and you experience friendly fire, once you get through sort of all the try to attempts to understanding and being soft place, have a resolute spine, which is to refuse to quit when it gets hard. Yeah. And the story that I tell is there was a Sunday, um, Matthew, where you and the band were playing the, uh, the old civil rights anthem, uh, ain't going to let nobody turn me around. Mm -hmm. And I had to stop singing halfway through cause I realized that I am very, I, I can be very easily turned around mm. when somebody, um, when I experience anything that feels like oppression or discrimination, yeah. because that's such a foreign experience to me, because yeah. of all the aforementioned layers of privilege, it's very easy to knock me off and be like, oh, geez, never mind, I'm out then, forget it. Yeah. Fragility. Uh, for, yes, fragility oh, is, is a, is a real thing. That's all that means, and it's so real. It's a real I have thing. The same thing. So my call is to have a resolute spine, to just, yeah. to, to the, the attacks don't feel good and they're confusing and sometimes they're unmerited. Right. Whatever. Almost always, honestly, <laughs> like most of the time. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's true most of the time when people, especially on the internet, I think most of the time mm. when people are yelling at someone on the internet, it's not you. I feel like you and I have had this conversation yeah. before. We've had this yeah. in circles many times, but most of the time people are yelling at the parent that rejects them, rejected them. People are yelling at the church that hurt them. People are yelling at, you know, it's so at the systemic history of violence yeah. you know like there is a bigger thing that deserves every bit of that mm -hmm. anger and you are currently the faceplate of whatever this emotional triggery thing is right whatever that is yeah. and the beauty of if you're able to hold in that space and if you're able to have the wherewithal to say I am not this thing. I know I am separate from, although still probably participating, blah, 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 lots and lots of nuance there, but I am separate from, my identity is not this thing. And when you get to respond the way that they wish that this thing had responded Ooh, to them. So yeah. when you get to be, when they yell at the parent that wounded them, when instead of yelling back, you get to then play the role, in that role-playing healing thing of saying, I hear you. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I am so sorry. Like the amount of power and grace and healing and beauty that happens, even if they tell you to fuck off, you know, yeah, even yeah. if it's just like, get yeah, fuck you, whatever, who are you? Which is fine, you know? Um, even if that happens, I think sometimes that's the, the best we can do is to get to step into that and say, I can at least do my best to be above. Mm -hmm not in a condescending shitty way, but to, to be above myself in this and everything in me that says, you talk about, what is that? The, the term for reacting not in the way that is dictated and how hard that is to have a, you had a specific way of talking about it. Mm. It's, a, it's not, the, it's not the, the mirroring, the matching thing, but it's a contradictory reaction or something else that's not, I don't remember what the, the phrase was, but 
how difficult it is to react, not in exactly the same way that the person is engaging. So if someone's angry, how hard it is to respond with peace yeah. to anger instead of matching the anger. But the, I love that both the softness and the resolute, like the strength, they're both part of that strategy. Yeah. And that for me is, that's when I feel best too, because I, I as an Enneagram 8, I often have leaned really hard into the resolute, the stubborn, the, the hold your ground, stand your ground uh, way of thinking. And it's been just in the past couple of years when that word soft has come to mean anything to me at all so much so that um, my husband got me a bracelet a couple years ago with that uh, the word soft engraved in it because it it i i deemed i needed a word of the year and that, that became the, the word but um but that but it also harkens back to me for, to the uh thing you were saying about um maybe not right but good like it just it feels that's when i feel really good and really the best about myself and how I'm conducting and composing and holding myself in the world is when I can be both of those things yeah. when I can be a soft place for people and uh, I'm also not you know I'm not going to back down I'm not going to stop going in the direction that I know like I'm not going to stop following that light um we're still going to get there but I'm going to give the space and the time that someone might need especially someone who is in my sphere that I have any kind of commitment to that I would like, you know, that I want to bring along with me in any kind of way. Like just, just not, not, not mandating that we all arrive at the same time in the same way, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, when progressives yeah. attack, it gets messy. Yeah. <laughs> so bring your Nerf guns to the battle yeah. and remember that the arrows, if they are Nerf guns for you, don't get don't get it twisted. Don't start feeling like you're dying. <laughs> don't die from Nerf gun fire. Yeah, no, that's, that's a waste. That is a waste. Yeah, <laughs> waste of time and energy. We need you. And if you're a progressive and you regularly fling in some arrows, maybe chill. Yeah. Chill maybe maybe dude. maybe appeal to some of the bigger things that we are on the same team for. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I I. I for good reasons, I can't go f- too far into that. Like sure. that's not necessarily my my mm. my lane, as they say. Um, there's a there's a gentleness around this conversation that comes a lot from you're yeah. you're very aware that you are white and straight and male, and that this is a complicated yeah. thing. Um, and I think as a as a woman, like there are plenty of places where my just being straightforward has been interpreted as anger and aggression mm, and yeah. this whole thing. And um, so I think when it comes to these things, like there's only so much that we can really like prescribe to other people but the one thing that we always can do one thing that we always can do is audit ourselves right that's all we've got so you know where you are you know what you can handle you know when you're triggered and you're emotional and that's your best that you're bringing to the table right now is anger yeah do anger you know like anger is what you've got at this moment and you know when you can take that moment of pause and be the person in the conversation who looks for the thing that we have in common who looks for the place that that we can connect and, and we 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 have the ability to audit and correct ourselves. Yeah, that's good. And we can we can do that ourselves. So that's, that's the good. thing that because we can't fix dumb on the internet, you know, like that's not <laughs> that's that's a, a thing that's gonna be and that's a lot of time. I think a lot of the, the most fruitless conversations I've been in are me just trying to tell other people, no, like look at where you're being wrong here. Like yeah. look at this place where you're doing this thing wrong, where you're yeah. claiming objectivity or you're whatever, like this thing that you're doing. And I can't you can't I can't. I yeah. can't the success rate on that is 
embarrassingly low. Right. But I can do it yeah. in me. I yep. can be the change yep. I want to see on Facebook yeah. and <laughs> do the thing. And yeah. so here we are to the capacity that I am able yeah. in any given moment, on any given day, in any given global pandemic, mm-hmm. which is the world twice. Global demic. I thought we already Glo- fixed that. Global demic. Global demic. Global demic. Birch Church. I wrote, I wrote a song lyric like 15 years ago that I don't even think I fully I definitely hadn't fully processed it at the time but it was it was the line was I'd I'd rather be happy than right and I think that's I was speaking to the same idea of like for me that happiness was what what I was being pulled towards goodness it was the goodness that I was seeking in the world um and I just felt so trapped by the need to be correct and I'm not even I'm not even a, a Enneagram that cares about that kind of stuff, right? Like, <laughs> of any of the numbers, probably an eight should be the one who can break free from that. But that's how strong it is in, when you're raised in, in these spaces yeah. that you just feel like it is the most vital thing. Yeah. And um, so, I don't know, it's just really good to be able to process this with y'all and with you listeners and um, to, to realize that, man, we can follow the light to the good. We can follow our hearts to the happy and that doesn't mean we're wrong. Yeah. And if we are, it's not the end of the world. It's okay. We can grow. We can change. In five years, we'll listen to this conversation and be like, oh, there were some places what we were wrong. What were we talking about? Um, but that's okay. So. Yeah. Because we're asking the question. Yeah. The Shift is available now. <laughs> Wherever you normally buy your books. That's open. <laughs> That's open. So probably not like a bookstore where you have to go there, but maybe from an online small book retailer, perhaps. Or yeah, if you go to ColbyMartinOnline.com, cool, great. I've got a link there to IndieBound, um, yeah. which will just take you right to searching your local nearest local independent bookstore. Grand. Perfect. So do that. Go get it. It's a breath. Mm. And it, I think that I think you've hit the nail on the head with the, it being sort of your wilderness survival guide. Yeah. I feel like that really is how it reads. And it also reads like a book that you could disagree with half of what you said, put it down and still be better for it, mm. which I think is beautiful because at the end of the day, it's good whether or not it's right. Mm. So I love that we get to do this. Me too. And that we're all stuck in quarantine together. So we get to like <laughs> keep talking about this stuff for the rest of not bad, the right? foreseeable future. All right, everybody, show notes. We'll have links for you. Go follow Colby. The link will be there. It's at Colby Martin on Instagram. Is that right? That's right. And anywhere else you want to direct people, Facebook? No, I mean, you can just Google my name. And fortunately, I cover, I think, the entire first page of Google. So You've done it. You've won being Colby Martin. There's not a ton of Colby Martins out there (laughs) yet. Yeah, uh, you do. So. I, I had to find a picture of you the other day, and I googled, and you were it was locked. I had, I had so many options. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> do you know that the other Karen Thurston is the wife of the televangelist? Did I tell you that? Wow. Yeah. You're welcome. I don't even know what to do with that, but oh, here we are. That's amazing. all the more reason to well, she do that name change, girl. She died, which oh. I found her obituary when I googled myself oh. once, and then I was like, I have mixed, oh I have mixed feelings, which I feel you bad could about. Inherit her empire. It's a thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Digital. Empire.